Hello, Wadi College. This is Mac Willingham. I work on the communications team in the college ministry. Um, I'm so glad that you found your way to this podcast. Every week we should have the sermons from College Bible Study uploaded on here with whoever's on the teaching team. And also, Caroline Head posts a weekly podcast with different guests every week um, that's really short and really, really good. So y'all should be on the lookout for that. Um, I'm here to tell you that this is a learning experience for all of us, and the recorder died halfway through the sermon. <laughs> so I changed the batteries midway through, and I'll put up here what I have, but it is going to miss a big chunk in the middle, and it may be a little confusing, but you're welcome to listen to what we have, and in the future, hopefully, we'll get that fixed. So just bear with us while we're trying to work through that, and um, I hope you enjoy it today. It was The teaching team was with... Um, Chip Chambers and Joel Shimpo and Ben Sanders, and it was really good. And I'm so sorry that you're going to miss a little bit there in the middle, but uh, hopefully you can get caught up a little bit with this and be back uh, in College Bible Study next week to uh, hear the full sermon. Just a reminder, we meet at 9 a.m. in the basement at Watkinsville every week, and hopefully next time you hear from me, it will be the full sermon and not a disclaimer that I messed something up. <laughs> so hope you all have a great day. And see you in College Bible Study. Um, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 3. If you will, um, open that up. We will read the text and then pray and get started. While you're turning to Ecclesiastes 3, I'm going to go ahead and start reading. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, and a time to lose, a time to keep, and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts. For all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. 
So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? All right, if you will, pray with me. We need it. Um, Father, we come before you um, acknowledging our own humility and our mortality, um, seeing that you have orchestrated all the times in this world. Um, As we engage with this text, we want to stay true to what the text is saying, um, wrestle with it, and find uh, humility and repentance where that is necessary, uh, and a hope where it exists in your word. Um, Teach us to be faithful stewards of the breath that you have given us uh, and the times that you have ordained. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. All right, so... um... We've spent several weeks uh, in Bible study and in teaching team going through this and struggling with uh, what exactly Solomon is saying and why he's saying it and why is it so difficult um, and at times so contrary to what the rest of Scripture uh, seems to be saying. And maybe a, a helpful way, a helpful way for me to think about it, is um, is the idea of a court hearing, not a, not a trial where you're trying to decide um, guilty or, or not guilty, but a hearing where you're trying to determine, well, what's the best, uh, all the available evidence, what's what's really going on, what's the best solution to this issue? Um, and the issue in question is, what is what is reality actually like? What is the truth of reality? And Israel's core belief is that the world, the universe, was created and is controlled um, and held together by a holy creator God. Okay? And so... The Bible is the result of dozens of witnesses over thousands of years coming and presenting their testimony, okay, in this hearing. And this is how the world works. This is how the world looks. And most of that testimony is what we would what we would just naturally agree with. It's Genesis. God created the world. He made it good. Um, we broke it, and he's constantly trying to bring us back into this relationship with him. It's um, Proverbs where it says if you act this way, then this is going to be the result. Um, it's the prophets, you know, where Jonah doesn't do what he's supposed to do, and God puts him through this trial to bring him back to where he needs to be, and then he goes and he preaches to Nineveh, and Nineveh repents, and that's how, that's Israel's core testimony. But on the fringes of that testimony, you've got these other witnesses who come in, and they say, yes, and, yes, and, this also happens. And Ecclesiastes is one of those witnesses where, you know, we don't know. We can't look to the future. We can't control a lot of things. There's, there is wickedness at the place of righteousness. Um, and this is important because it, it makes the truth more true. Mm-hmm. Um, it puts God in a position where he can't be manipulated. If the Proverbs was true by itself, then we could just act a certain way and expect God to give us whatever it is that he promises. But Job says, no, that's not the case. I was righteous, and this is what God did to me. He never understands why. He's Mm -hmm. never told why, other than, I'm God and you're not. Um, But outside of the Old Testament, the biggest counter-testimony is really Jesus. So we read what Jesus says, and we think, well, those are some hard things. But Jesus is doing the same thing. He's also presenting counter-testimony. In John 9, when um, he heals the blind man, the disciples ask him, when they see him, they say, who is, who is the sinner? Did this man sin or did his parents sin for him to be born blind? And Jesus says, no. 
No one sinned. This is for the glory of God. That's counter-testimony. This man's blind, not because he's done anything wrong, but to bring God glory. In Luke 18, he tells the rich guy to sell all you have and give it to the poor. Mm -hmm. Two chapters earlier, he tells the story of the, um, the uh, dishonest manager. And he says, the children of heaven aren't as shrewd as the people of the earth. The, the, the children of God should learn to be, um, they should learn to use their unrighteous wealth to make friends for them on earth. Mm -hmm. Those two things are, are, are held in a, a really weird tension with one another. Mm -hmm. And then in Jesus' own words on the Sermon on the Mount, he says, God lets the sun shine on the good and the evil, and he brings the rain on the just and the unjust. And that's, that's testimony and counter-testimony. So it's like two truths that are both right, but put next to each other? Yeah, I, w I, w I don't think I would even distinguish them as two truths. It's one truth. Mm -hmm. This is, again, we talk about descriptive mm -hmm. and prescriptive. Mm -hmm. This is what it looks like. Now, there's something outside of this mm -hmm. that God exists in that he will judge. But here on the earth, this is what it looks like. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Jesus says the people, the tower that fell in Siloam, those people haven't done anything wrong. It's just a bad thing that happened. Um, but the biggest counter-testimony is Jesus himself. Israel was expecting um, a Messiah who was going to be like David, a warrior king who was going to drive out um, the, uh, the invaders and set up a kingdom that... Um, sorry. That's, I'm sure that's me. I'm okay, Mac? All right. Um, I just assume I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> All right, so uh, there's going to be a warrior king who comes and drives out the Romans and that uh, he's going to set up a Sol Solomonic empire that he rules in splendor and peace for the next thousand years. And God says, no, that's, you may think that, but you're missing, you're missing the fringed stuff. And he sends Jesus. He becomes God. He puts on flesh and he comes and he lives and he dies for us. And everything that Proverbs says, if you obey my commandments and you do this and you do that, then I'm going to do this, all washed away. The only perfect man who ever lived was crucified mm -hmm. by the very people he came to save. Mm -hmm. That's counter-testimony. And that's a lot of what Ecclesiastes is doing. He's pointing out that you may think this, and you're right, mm -hmm. you know, do good, obey the commandments, but there's, there's more to it than that. So that's a good place to jump in. Yeah, I, I think we'll, we get looking at the text, like moving through it a little bit here. You know, I think you have to have a really good doctrine of creation and a really good doctrine of the fall. Mm -hmm. Because both of those things come together so tightly in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, it, it, like Ben was saying, I, that helped me kind of view Ecclesiastes better when, when I uh, pair it with Proverbs and Job. We talked about that this week, and, and I think that idea has been introduced in here before. Hey, I'm kind of new here. I'm, I'm Joel, if I haven't met you yet. Um, this is my first week teaching, so uh, I'm trying to catch up myself a little bit. But uh, you have uh, some things in here that you're like, what is he saying? And, and uh, I think it's really good that we get to step back and have a different viewpoint than even he does on many of these things because we have the whole revelation of God's word in front of us and we know how a lot of the story ends. Uh, but if you start in Ecclesiastes 3, you guys, uh, in the first few verses of Ecclesiastes 3, 
you guys have heard this poem before, right? Does anyone recognize this? Verses one through eight, a time for everything. Yeah. And uh, uh, if you're planning on using this at your wedding, I mean, you can if you want. Um, but it, it sounds a lot different, right? If you've been with us week after week in Ecclesiastes, it takes on a different feel. And I've, I've heard this in weddings and funerals, uh, this poem. And there's, it's a beautiful poem, don't get me wrong, but um, to be honest, uh, some people can get really caught up in the pessimism of it. They're like, well, if, if I'm born, there's going to be a day when I die. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, if I'm laughing now, there's going to be a day when I weep. Uh, so, so what's the point? But then you can get on the other side of it, too. You can be very optimistic, and you can say, well, if I'm weeping now, I'm going to laugh one day. If I'm mourning now, I'm going to dance one day. And so both of those things are kind of wrapped up in this poem. And I think we step away and we say, here's the big picture. Here's what it's saying. It's saying that God's sovereign. That's what, that's what the preacher is taking us back to, this idea that, that uh, when we look at our life and, and the first eight verses are meant to show us, like this is kind of the whole experience of the human life. When you put these 14 ideas together, 14 actions uh, so it's two times seven. Seven is the uh, like number of uh, completion in the Bible. We have that twice over. Didn't even had a term for that. What did you call it again? It's great. Uh, double, a double portion of qualitative fullness. Jot that portion. one down. Use that in a class, and you'll get like a guaranteed A. A, a double portion of qualitative fullness uh, here to show us just basically the whole gamut of the human experience is in front of us, um, and and many of the things that we experience, not, not, not every little thing, but just overall, here's the whole human experience. And he steps back and he says in verse 9, what gain has the worker from his toil? So when we think about the whole human experience, what gain can we get, right? Because this is what Solomon's been asking all through the book, or the preacher. I could call him the preacher. I'm not totally convinced it's Solomon. Are you guys convinced? Have you guys already said that? We, we said it's probably Solomon, but okay. we, we left a lot of room for okay. people to... Take it I mostly call him the preacher for that reason, that I'm like 50-50 on it. And uh, verse 10, it says, I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And so you see both the pessimism and the optimism here, uh, that like on one hand, he says, what can we get out of it? Yet at the same time, it's very beautiful. When we look at our life, we can see how on one hand it feels all, just it feels like toil. Like, what, what are we actually getting out of this day-to-day grind that we find ourselves in? But then we step back and we read a poem, or we see a piece of artwork, or we see the creation and it's all of its beauty, or we laugh, or even sometimes when we cry, we go, wow, this is beautiful. Like, there's beauty in this, and it brings us back to God. In fact, in, in some ways, chapter 3 moves us more to bring God into the picture when he says in verse 1, for every matter under heaven... It's no longer, you know, under the sun here for a few moments. We're thinking about where's God in all of this? It's under heaven. Like, where, this is under his reign and rule. And so, again, you've got to have a good doctrine of creation and, and, and seeing the beauty of life. But then you have to have a good doctrine of the fall to see also that, like, things aren't always cheery and perfect and good. Even sometimes when we do the things that are prescribed in the scripture we see things happen in our life that we feel are uh, uh, unjust. And to back that up, you're saying, ah, you know, I'm not sure this is about God's sovereignty. Look at verse 11. 
he has made everything beautiful in its time. So it, it's not beautiful just on its own. It is God's sovereignty that, that lets us rest in its beauty. And then verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it. So all of this poem is um, the, it, it's pointing, in chapter one, you know, we saw that poem and it's kind of, man, there's just this futility of effort. And chapter three is kind of bringing God back into the picture, like Joel said, with this under heaven. He's kind of saying, yes, it, it does have a, a flavor of, man, I'm not sure I can do much to break up this rhythm of life. But Solomon's saying, but when you bring God's sovereignty into it, and, and I think as, as young people, um, maybe we haven't experienced some of these rhythms. I don't think I've experienced all of these. We were talking this week about how uh, older people kind of read this poem a little differently than younger people, because if you're older, you've probably experienced more of this than I have as a 23-year-old. Uh, but we, as young people, can... Um, and, uh, you guys have seen Kung Fu Panda? Um, the first one? The Great Philosopher. Yes, Uguay. Kung Fu Panda. Uguay. Yes. And so Uguay's having this conversation with uh, with Poe, and he says, uh, Poe's just down. He's he's terrible. He's, he just doesn't fit in. Everybody wants to kick him out. And he says, you worry a lot about what's happened in the past and what's happened in the future. And he says, the, uh, the, past is a the past is history, the future is a mystery, but today is a gift. And that's why it's called the present. Um, and that's sort of a pop culture-ish take on what Eastern philosophy believes. But at its heart, it's the same thing. You live in this thing that God has given you to live in. You mm -hmm. enjoy what God has given you to live in. Mm -hmm. Part of Solomon's problem is he's always concerned about the future. Who am I going to leave my stuff to? Mm -hmm. Who's going to remember me? Am I going to have a great name? Mm -hmm. And and that's that's not part of what God has given us to do. It's the daily task of, of, of asking uh, and receiving our daily bread um, and, and walk wisely because mm -hmm. the days are evil. And, and so what we're saying is if you just let your mind drift passively into thought, you'll probably end up in the past or the future either dwelling on the past or worrying about the future or something. And even secular philosophy has kind of stumbled on this. Like, hey, that's not healthy for you. You'll just end up worried or anxious or re replaying old memories in your mind. And they're right, but they don't actually have the tool to free you from that. So they like recognize the problem like, ah, you should be present. You should dwell in the present. But only when you have the sovereignty of God in Ecclesiastes 3 can you step back and say, God is orchestrating these rhythms. So until we have the tool of God's sovereignty in in our life, we won't be able to actually be freed from the future or the past to live in this moment, uh, the present, you said, where time touches eternity, right? Yeah. I got one other picture for you. Uh, the movie Stranger Than Fiction. Uh, it it's Will Ferrell is in that movie, but it's not a Will Ferrell movie at all. If you've seen it, you're like, what is he doing in this movie? Um, but I'm, everyone's looking at me like no one has seen this movie. I'm the only one. Okay. It's like one of my favorite movies. Seriously. You got one in the back. Oh, uh, yes. Thank you. Um, so Will Ferrell is, I'll just kind of give you a little bit of the plot. He's a character in the story uh, that's being like actively written. So his life is like being written like by this author who's written these best-selling best books. And at some point he stumbles upon the fact that he's in the middle of a story that's being written and the author is going to kill him. And so in a very tragic way, in fact. And so uh, his quest now is to like stop this from happening. And um, so at some point, it, like you see him um, like come to this realization of like, oh, this it, there's like this bigger thing happening. Uh, like there's there's more to life than this little world I've been this little bubble I've been in. And like that 
um, he's clued into the fact that like there's things happening that are outside of his control, right? Um, but the truth of the matter is um, that when you watch this movie, you think that like the author is the one who is like in control of like what's happening, but in fact, uh, the, the person who's actually in control is the author of this movie who's writing the author into the story, who's writing the character into the story. Mind-blowing. Boom. Um, and uh, that's how it works for us. That's, that's like what we see in these verses that like, uh, okay, we're getting, we're getting out of our bubbles to see like that, um, that there's so much that happens outside of our control that's bigger than us that like, um, that ultimately what, what we're taking back here too, is that God is the one who knows from beginning to the end that he's over everything. And when we settle into that fact, as believers, who we know God to be, that is good, right? When we settle into the fact that, that like, he is sovereign, that, that he does know beginning from the end, then, like, that doesn't scare us, that, that we're comforted in that, Again, uh, we, we get to read a lot more into, Solomon is going to ask a lot more questions, but we get to read a lot more of the story to know even better how to understand this concept that, that he's come to find in his own life and discover in his own life. And we just got a great question. Okay, how does that practically, uh, when we understand God's sovereignty, free us from the past and from the future? I think, Joel, you're touching on it. So this is the importance of doctrine. We need to understand God's sovereignty. And when that trickles down in our life, we end up in verse 12 and verse 13. I perceive that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So if you grasp his sovereignty, and we'll touch a little bit on similar application points at the very end, um, but what it will look like is you'll enjoy eating. It won't just be rote for you. Um, You'll enjoy drinking and you'll enjoy your work. Yeah. I think it moves me at least when I read those verses to say, okay, like I don't, I, I, I'm freed from worrying about like, how does this huge thing work? It, 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 like I could still discover and work towards like knowing some of the facts of the universe. Like that's not a bad thing, but in the, in the moments where I just need to be freed from that, I can be that I can, uh, again, read it like a Christian reads and I'm going to say those verses, and everyone should, this is verse 13, everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. Like, I can do that because I know God's in charge. I, I, I'm going to, like, just lead a quiet life, as we're, Paul tells Timothy, uh, to, and, and know that, like, uh, God's got this. To, um, sorry, I'm, I'm thinking of something else. Um, to... Uh... So to think about it from a, from an Eastern perspective, so Taoism, um, they have this idea of called of, of it's not inaction, it's called non-action. It's called doing and not doing, and it's the idea that you aren't um, forcing things to happen. That whatever task you are working on is a task that you need to be working on. You work on on it for as long as you need to, and then once it's completed, you let it go. You don't come back to it. You don't do like Solomon does and look back and say. Oh, Enjoyed it while I was doing it, but now it's now I hate life because I'm done with this thing and I don't know what's going to happen to it. Um, and so I think that's that's the that's a good mindset to have um, as well. That you're not you're not in control and you can't force this stuff to 
happen the way that you want it to. Sometimes it's going to happen the way God wants it to. I think of Joseph, um, who's had all these terrible things happen to him. And it takes him a really long time, but he floats along with it. Like he, He's in prison, but he's still doing what he knows how to do, which mm-hmm. is manage things. You know, he's in Potiphar's house, he's managing things. Um, and then he gets to Pharaoh, and he's just managing things. He's really good at this. He just does what he's good at. But it takes all this time, his whole life, to realize that what happened mm-hmm. to him 30, 40 years yeah. earlier, as evil as it was, God meant it for good. Um, and and that's a hard place to get. And I think that's why it takes him so long yeah. to get there. Yeah, um, and that's it, a great example. It's a great example. Um, did you finish that thought? I, yeah. <laughs> I could keep going, but I'm done. I mean, I like listening no, no, to no, hear you good, speak. We, we got we to so, finish. Chip's got it. Chip's got I got one. I do have one other point of application because yeah. I think this is really good, too. Yeah. And we're, we're getting several questions. How do we apply this to our lives? Yeah, so here's, here's another point of application. In Matthew 18, 3, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. <laughs> Maybe you remember that story where Jesus receives the child, and uh, he says, okay, you know, like disciples are getting mad. Like, get the kids away. And he's like, no, this is a great picture of what it means to, to live in the kingdom of God. And, um, you know, I have five kids. And uh, I can tell you that my five kids, not one of them, at least not yet, worry about any of the things that I worry about. They don't worry about, like, paying bills. <laughs> they don't worry about, do we have insurance for this? Um, they don't worry about uh, making sure, like, do we even have enough money for dinner? They're like, let's go eat here. We're like, no, we don't have money, right? Um, and uh, I think there's a part of them that were like they're they're freed so much in that again i think this is another example of like when we put our trust and faith in jesus um just like you see that childlike trust and faith and parents and we can be freed from some of the worry uh and i think we're going to keep driving towards this as we go through this text that uh when we put ourselves in a place that um we know that like we we can't figure everything out, but what God does is beautiful because God is beautiful, then like we'll be okay. And so we have to step back and take that, that, that that's what it means to live in the kingdom of heaven. We have to step back and be humble like a child. We have to, uh, and I think I, I think that means several things, but one of them is that humble trust. Let's keep working through, I promise we're going to wrap this up and, and make it practical, but I think we need to sit in a little bit of tension, and so I don't want to skip over these last few verses. Yeah. Um, so let's look at this. Uh, Solomon kind of deals with two separate issues. He looks, in verse 16, he looks everywhere. He looks at um, like systems that should be just. We can picture like a court system, and he says they're corrupt. And then he looks at people who are supposed to be righteous, and even they're jacked up. And he goes, it." Like, this world is supposed to be this way. I have this eternity in my heart. I know how this world's supposed to look. So he has the doctrine of creation. And he goes, but that's not how it is. And notice how he answers it. He says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and every work. So he sees judgment, God's judgment, as an answer to the wickedness of this world. So, so that's interesting. A lot of time we think of God's judgment as a problem that needs to be explained away. Solomon seems to view God's judgment as the answer to the wickedness of this world. So for him, it's a comfort. So he goes, okay, I, I know there's got to be some judgment filed out of way. Keep moving. 
he basically then goes on to say, we're like animals. We hit the ground just like they do. And we're, we're no better than they are. As one dies, so dies the other. We all have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the beast. You didn't learn that one in Sunday school, did you? Um, all go to one place. All are from the dust. And to dust, all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast goes down into the earth. Whoa, gum. that got kind of depressing. Uh, so what's going on here? Solomon, he's looking at life and he's trying to figure out what the key to life is. And, and he's very wise. He's got eternity in his heart. He's got the law of the scripture and he's been given the supernatural wisdom from God. So if, if anyone is equipped to figure out how life works, it's this guy. And he steps back and he goes, I'm really confused. Because when I look, I see that we hit the ground just like the animals. He can't figure out what to do with death, okay? Uh, he knows there's got to be something about judgment. There's got to be, like, if I'm trying to find the key to life, God's judgment needs to play in there. God's sovereignty needs to play in there. Uh, but death, like, we're, we're just like the animals. In chapter 2, we saw, I accumulate all these possessions, but then I die, and I leave them for some guy who's probably going to squander them. And that's exactly what happens. We know that Solomon's son ruins the entire kingdom. And so he's kind of perplexed. And what we were talking about this week is he goes trying to find the key to life and he doesn't find it. He finds the keyhole and he looks and he kind of looks at the shape of the keyhole and he goes, okay, I can figure out some things that the key to life needs to have. It needs to deal with this question of death because I can't figure out what to do with it. It needs to deal with God's judgment. Um, it needs to deal with like possessions and like he keeps coming back to this idea of gain. Like what gain can someone get from their toil? Because he just feels like, I'm doing all this stuff and I'm not getting anywhere. I don't know if any of you feel like this, but you're just working and you're not, you're on a treadmill. You're not actually moving anywhere. Okay. Solomon had several general uh, wise qualities, but he didn't have the full revelation of scripture. So I want you to move with me to Luke 12, and then we're going to move to 1 Corinthians and we're going to see how the story ends. Okay. Jesus comes along in Luke 12 and kind of like Ben was saying, he's going to provide um, an additional testimony here. I think uh, Vic touched on this last week, but I want to make sure we, we really wrestle with this, especially talking about anxiety. Um, we're in Luke 12, looking at verse 15. Jesus answered someone, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That sounds pretty similar to Solomon, right? And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? That sounds like Solomon. You remember he built all these gardens. He had all this gold and stuff. Uh, and he said, I'll do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Okay? So he's going, hey, this side of life, I've got things pretty good. Um, but God said to him, fool, this night... Your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Who does that sound like? Solomon, right? Saying, I've accumulated all this stuff, and it's going to be for the guy behind me. He's probably going to squander it. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. All right? Can we put this first slide up there, Mac? Sweet. So here's what Solomon's looking at. This is a very complex diagram, and I know the print's not big. We are in life now. Eventually, we'll be in life then. Here's the problem. Next slide. Death breaks those up. And Solomon cannot figure out what to do with death. Hit the next slide. 
So like the animals, they hit the dust. They can't make it through. Possessions, they can't make it through. So he wants to figure out, how do I make life then, like eternity? He's got this eternity in his heart, but how do I, like, like nothing that I do seems to make a difference for eternity. Okay, next slide. Um, so here on the left, we this life under the sun. We can't get any gain. He calls things vanity, this hevel. And he knows there's got to be some sort of judgment, but death keeps frustrating him. And Jesus seems to agree with that. He says, yeah, here's a rich man who built up all this stuff, and death came, and he lost it all. And what did it mean? Nothing. But, verse 21, he says, there's a way to lay up treasure for yourself, so living on the left side of the line, but there's also a way to be rich towards God. So Jesus is saying, yes, Solomon, investment one is bankrupt, but there's a second investment. Keep reading. He said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So here's this idea of living in the moment, not the future or the past. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even who? Solomon, in all his glory. So Jesus is intentionally invoking the thought of Solomon here in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek what? His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Hmm. Can we hit the next slide? Jesus gives us the investment to the second side. It's him. He is the way through death and judgment. And he keeps going. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. You want to know what it looks like to live for the second kingdom? Jesus tells you, sell what you got. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. All right, hit the last slide. So contrast this. Solomon's looking at life on the left side, and he says, I build up possessions, and I can't hold on to them. I build these gardens, they don't satisfy. My, my labor is in vain. Jesus says you're, that we're going to have money bags that do not grow old, treasure that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Jesus is the key to the keyhole. He is the one who took on judgment. He is the one who came from outside of the sun to life under the sun and made it through death. He knows, Jesus knows, whether or not the spirit of man ascends and the spirit of of the animal descends. So all the questions that Solomon poses, Jesus knows the answer to. And Paul finally elaborates in 1 Corinthians 15. He talks about the importance of the resurrection of Jesus. We'll go ahead and we'll look at verse 50. I know we've been going for a while. Hang with me just a little while longer. 1 Corinthians 15, 50. When you got it, say, I got it. Still here a few pages. I'll give you just another second. 
All right, 1 Corinthians 15, 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Again, same idea. What is perishable can't make it to the right side. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where's your sting? Wouldn't Solomon have loved to read that? Solomon didn't know that. He didn't know what the answer to death would be. Paul knew. We know because we live in light of the death of Jesus. The death, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus was the person who looked forward to his death and he lived backwards from that perfectly. And he answered all of these questions. He was the key that perfectly fit in the keyhole. And now, in light of all of that, so here's your doctrine. So this is what Jesus has done. He's the key that fits perfectly in the keyhole. He answers judgment. He, he answers God's sovereignty. He answers all of these things. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, so in light of everything we just said, this is important. Anytime you read therefore in the Bible, you've got to ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? Remember everything we just said. You with me? I'm trying to build the tension here. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That doesn't sound like heaven. That sounds certain. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. So Solomon says, what gain does a man gain from his toil? Nothing. Life is vanity. He goes on in chapter 6 to say, this is vain life with which man toils under the sun. And Paul looks back and he goes, mm -mm. if all you have is investment one, if you don't know how to get money bags that don't grow old, then yeah, life is vain. But when you know about investment two, when you know that Jesus has made it through death and that there's a way to invest in the other side, then there's a labor, the labor in Jesus Christ that, does not, um, that is not in vain. So here's, here's your application point. You ready? Solomon's perspective isn't wrong. He's helpful but incomplete. So he shows us what won't work. Okay? What won't work is stuff that perishes when you die. So here's your application point. Go through your Amazon wish list and ask yourself, if I, if I knew I was dying tonight, would I buy that? Go through your screen time on your don't, phone, see which apps on, you're spending. Don't mess with my Amazon, okay? Please. Go, go through your screen time on your phone. If I knew I was dying tonight, would I spend my time that way? Because what, Je what Jesus said in Luke 12 is, this man thought he had forever to enjoy his possessions, yeah. but death came that night. So how do we live? We live in light of death. Death is not confusing for us anymore. It is clarifying. It shows us, you want to know, does something matter? Will it matter once I die? That's our deathbed test. Is what we're investing in stuff that lives for the right side or the left side? So look at where you're spending your money, where you're spending your time, and ask yourself, is it investment one or is it investment two? Um, and I think once we get that, then um, that where, where our treasure is, there our heart will be. You want to move yourself away from the anxiety of this world, look where your treasure is, your money and your time. Um, and, and we remember that we can't do that perfectly, uh, but that Jesus lived perfectly backwards from his death where we don't.
Y'all got anything to add to that? That's great. Do we have some questions? Yeah, we got several. Are we supposed to end now? Well, we could. If anyone needed to leave, you could go ahead and go, and then we could hang around for a few minutes and answer. Yeah, any I got questions. one more. This is a good one, and I'll let y'all pick this. If I'm dying tomorrow, I'm not studying for my test I have tomorrow. So what's the balance? It's <laughs> a good question. All right, so to go back to screw tape letter 15, read that. Your answer's in there. Part of your duty for today is to prepare for tomorrow. It's not to, it's not to gain things to make a profit for tomorrow. It's to prepare. So if you have a test tomorrow, um, and you haven't studied for it yet. You messed up weeks ago. <laughs> should have started Great then. point. <laughs> because that was part of your daily responsibility. Can I get an amen down front? <laughs> yeah, we got professor here in the front. Sweet. Awesome. Thank you, guys. What do you mind praying for us? It's good. I think, I'll just have one last thought. I think, Chip, you, 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 uh, brought us to a great place right there. And I think the tension lies in, uh, and this sounds like a lot of the questions were coming from, the tension lies in, like, what what do we do now? Like, right? And um, sometimes we just want, like, give, give me the answers. Like, give me the checklist. Mm. And it doesn't work like that, right? You, you know, you have to, like us, wrestle a little bit as you read this. Don't let this just, like, fall off. And you wrestle a little bit with what the Word of God is telling you. Um, talk about it together. I ask some questions today, later today. Like, hey, what would you think of that? Like, give me your thoughts. Bounce some things off each other, and um, and encourage one another, as the scripture tells us, um, towards love and good deeds. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for how you've revealed yourself to us, how you've shown us uh, your great love through your Son Jesus. Lord, as we read the book of Ecclesiastes, we can both be in awe of, of like the wisdom that's presented there, uh, wisdom that you implanted uh, in the writer of that book, uh, but ultimately how it can drive us to see the wisdom in Jesus. And uh, thank you for that. Thank you how you uh, move us in this Old Testament book to, to see you in a much fuller and greater way because of it. And uh, Lord, I pray we would encourage each other, we would help each other as we work through some of these concepts, and uh, Lord, may we be different people because of it. That's what we pray through the power of your Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. There were a couple questions I didn't get to. We're happy to talk with you up here after them. One final announcement. We have some open slots on the for the... Um, uh, spring break trip to Tallahassee led by Carly and Kyle. Um, it'll be amazing community uh, sharing the gospel on three college campuses. If you don't have plans for spring break, please come up, talk to us or one of them. Go in peace.